as coaches, we are educators, we're teachers. So I always refer to the basketball court as a classroom. Today on the Rising Coaches Podcast, we get to speak with a former Duke Blue Devil and two-time NCAA champion, Coach Kenny Blakeney. Blakeney took a wide range of coaching stops, including James Madison, LaSalle, Delaware, Seton Hall, Marshall, Harvard, and Columbia, all in assistant positions and currently rounding things off where he is now standing as the current head coach of Howard University. Everyone, please welcome Coach Kenny Blakeney. Video analysis is expensive, and I'm sure your budget isn't getting much bigger. Fulcrum Tech is here to help. Used by basketball teams at all levels from D1, D2, D3, all the way to high school. Their Angles product is similar to what you know and allows you to code, capture, and analyze with ease. All you have to do is import the raw video and synergy with just the click of a mouse. Over the past two years, over 60% of their D1 teams and conferences, such as the SEC, Pac-12, American, A-10, or even the NBC, just to name a few, have made the postseason. All this while saving thousands and thousands of dollars a year compared to their old companies. Because let's be honest, who doesn't want to save more money? All you have to do is reach out to at Fulcrum Tech on Twitter or reach out to their sales at sales at fulcrumtech.com via email and be sure to mention if you are a Rising Coaches member for the Rising Coaches podcast. Do more, spend less with Fulcrum Tech. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Rising Coaches Podcast. Again, I'm Doug Caputo, alongside Alan Major, and today on the podcast, we are excited to be speaking with the current head coach at Howard University, Coach Kenny Blakeney. Coach Blakeney, what's going on? How you doing, Doug? How you doing, Coach Major? Hey, welcome, Kenny. Great to see you, brother. Thank you for joining us. It's going great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on Rising Coaches. Yes, sir. Of course. And uh, definitely a pleasure to be able to learn a little bit more from you. Um, And one thing that we're going to talk about and we'll jump right into here in a second is we always want to give everybody the background of just your journey, your experiences, some things that you've learned throughout those experiences. Uh, Then we'll touch a little bit on where you are now, as we mentioned, Howard, and kind of talking about your successes in the previous season. Uh, And then we'll go into a final segment just to learn a little bit more about who you are as an individual. But to go back, um, first thing I want, and I'm, I'm going to throw you back here a little bit, okay? So you started your career in Maryland um, at DeMatha High School. We're Gatorade Player of the Year for the state of Maryland, okay? And then you got the option to go on to college. Now, of course, you put that Duke Blue Devils jersey on. So other than the obvious, now I know this was, it was a different time, but what made you choose Duke? Because that's something that everybody wants to do in their you know, lifetime, but you actually got to live it. So what made you choose Duke? Well, what made me choose Duke was that I wanted to win. When I went to college, that was my priority. I uh, can tell you a funny story. How refreshing Um, is that to hear? (laughs) (laughs) I, I had a cousin that was at a junior college at Connor State that was getting recruited by Oklahoma at the time. And uh, Oklahoma wanted to make it like a, a joint package with him and myself uh, to go to Oklahoma together. And uh, I just remember the conversation with him. I, I was like, man, Duke has been going to so many Final Fours and they're so close. I was like, I think they're going to win a national championship and I want to be a part of it. 
So my choice basketball specific wise was I wanted to win. Um, and then I understood the value of a Duke degree. I understand understood the value of playing under a leader and a coach like Coach K. Um, Grant Hill is somebody I grew up with since I was around 12 or 13 years old. And uh, he and his family, uh, Mr. Calvin Hill and his mom, the late Janet Hill, um, were very instrumental all, also in my decision to go to Duke. Um, so ultimately, yeah, there was a lot of things that I looked at, but when I really looked at it from a basketball perspective, it was all about winning. I love that. I mean, man. and that's that's one thing that especially um, kind of what I want to say next here, but not only did you play for Coach K, you went on to win two NCAA championships in your career. So how was it playing for Coach K? And then kind of on top of that, of course, I'm sure it was exhilarating and exciting to be able to win championships, but tell us about the experiences for playing for Coach K and then being able to hoist those trophies at the end of the season. Yeah, it's kind of awesome to be able to say that I had a chance to sit in the classroom of the winningest NCAA college coach in the history of the game. I'm just a, a kid from uptown Washington, D.C. that found myself in, you know, that amazing space and very lucky and fortunate enough to do it because it wasn't anything that I sat out to do when I started playing basketball. It was just I played basketball for the love of it. Um, but it also, growing up in my neighborhood, it kept me out of trouble. Um, <laughs> That's right. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> So when, when doing that, you know, having a chance to get recruited, having Coach K be a guy that, you know, said that he would love for me to be a part of his program, I, I jumped at the opportunity, you know, coming from DeMatha where I played for Coach Morgan Wooten and transitioning over to Coach K, it was for me just, you know, like I said, an opportunity to sit in two of the best classrooms in the history of college basketball and high school basketball. Oh, man. The – um. The lessons that that were learned are more than just basketball lessons. They're life lessons. You know, for Coach K, like, you know, some of the things that were so incredible about him is, one, uh, I don't think there's anybody more prepared for all the different things that you have to kind of go through as a head coach than Coach K. Secondly, he is an incredible communicator. Thirdly, he is the ultimate leader that you could find in any, you know, sector, sports, you know, job related, whatever. He is like one of those guys that if he wanted to run for governor of North Carolina, he could be an unbelievable governor. If he wanted to run, I think that's a job that he can handle as well. So there were all these different variables that, you know, being in, in his classroom, which I call, because as, as coaches, we are educators, we're teachers. So I always refer to the basketball court as a classroom. I just found myself immersed in everything about what he was giving us as student athletes that I thought really could help me grow and develop not only as a player, but as a man. He probably, he probably gets smarter the further you go too. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> all the things that even you probably had days with coach K like, ah, come on coach. Really? You know, just because you're a kid and you know, you're 18 to 22 and not everything adults say registers, you know, the way it should. But, you know, as, as, as you get older, he probably gets he probably continues to get smarter and wiser. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And, and I, I'll tell you this, Coach Major, our, our relationship, obviously, from coach to player ha has changed. And it's still he's my he's always going to be my coach and my mentor. But now that, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, a head coach and 
uh, I think he's taken so much pleasure and joy in seeing, you know, one of his guys, um, you know, kind of leading a program and especially at Howard. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the phone conversations we've had and text messages, they give me chills just thinking about them. From him reaching out and just saying, you know, telling me like, hey, if I was the coach at Howard, this is how I would look at some things. Mm. Um, because he has a great affinity for Howard University and what it stands for and its history and tradition and culture. He has just been unbelievable as a person to for me to lean on and, and for, uh, you know, to get guidance and to receive his his positive feedback and, you know, have him at my corner. And then we actually spoke with and released the episode recently of somebody who you may have heard of before uh, mentioned his name is Johnny Dawkins. So, yeah, we, we just had an episode of him and uh, it was released. So happy to be able to, you know, kind of get both of you on here and kind of share your experiences. He said some very similar things just as you did. Upon graduation, you took a variety of roles, you know, including I know you were at James Madison, LaSalle, Delaware, Seton Hall, Marshall, Harvard, Columbia, just to, you know, touch on them real quick. Um, But they were all various different assistant positions. What were some things that you learned through those experiences that you feel helped you in the current head coaching position you are today? Yeah, well, let me clarify something, Doug, because I don't even know how this got on my uh, bio sheet. I never, ever worked at Seton Hall. I think maybe the okay. relationship with Tommy Amaker might have been there. That for some reason that is always on my bio, um, but on my resume, <laughs> it is yep. never included. So I just want to clarify that. I, I, I think like you know, I we just took our team to James Madison, and my first job as a collegiate assistant coach was at James Madison University. Coach Baker, you'll remember this, Doug. You're probably too young to, to know this, but. We had something back in the day called the restricted earnings coach. I was one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. That's how I I got my start. So my first year, I made $3,000 for the year, $300 per month for 10 months with my contract. You know, when you do something like that, it really makes you examine how much you love the game of basketball. (laughs) No question. (laughs) So... Um, everybody that says they want to get in this business, like, are you willing to pretty much work for free? Um, because that's what it was. I, I, I probably was negative every month. I had a, I had a meal card coach major that I used to go to, go to the, the cafeteria at 23, 24 years old and eat with the students. So, I yep. Say, yep. um, but working for Lefty Gazelle, I, I think was such a baptism by fire because. Coach is so much misunderstood. You know, he, he's one of my favorite people ever. And he he has this kind of like personality about him that he gives you this Southern draw and that he may be, you know, the, the guy in the room that you think is not paying attention or the, the guy that you would, because of the draw, you think he's not, you know, super intelligent. This dude is brilliant. He got his undergraduate degree from Duke University. He got his master's degree from William & Mary and uh, has been one of the most successful coaches in the history of our game. And coach had binders in the office on how to build a program, how to recruit. He had every single point like written out to a T on how to build a program. And when I went there, he was just kind of like, 
I'm throwing you in, and it's a great story. I got hired. My first official day was two days before our first game. Dwight Freeman was wow. the assistant coach, and he had taken a job at the University of Miami right before the season started. So I went through the interview process and was very fortunate enough to get the job. And uh, so my first day on the job, we had practice, and then we were going to Bowling Green. My second day on the job was we're playing Bowling Green, and I'm sitting on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) During the game, you know, it's kind of possession by possession down at the end, and somehow I'm sitting close near Coach Drizel, and he grabs my arm, and he goes, Kenny, what do you think I should do? I'm like, Coach, I don't even know these dudes' names. How do you going to ask me what we should be doing right now? <laughs> but that was just Coach Rizal, and he really threw you in there. And then, you know, fast forward a little bit, I had a chance to work with Mike Bray, who's been a mentor of mine since I was 14. Uh, Coach Bray was a history teacher my freshman year at DeMatha Catholic High School. Um, and then he came back and recruited me at Duke. and worked me on the staff at the University of Delaware. And then I'll jump to another one, uh, Tommy Amaker, who also is like a brother of mine and a, a guy who has been such an incredible positive role model for me in my life, especially not having a black role model uh, in my life. He has been the epitome of what a black man uh, looks like, work ethic, everything about him has been um, super impressive to me. So. Those three guys for me as insisting coaches have really showed me the way of how to kind of handle myself, what this thing looks like, smells like, and feels like, and then, you know, ultimately how to, how to be a professional in this business. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've gotten to know Tommy over the years too. I met him uh, when I was at Ohio State. He was at Michigan. So we never worked together, but have have developed a great relationship over the years. And, and um, you know, uh, let me ask you this, you know, now being a head coach and I, I know what my thing was because we all have that thing. Once you get into that role and you step into that role of like, wow. So this is, this is, this is it. Like, this is real, you know, because your, your whole perception changes. I mean, you go from kind of staying in your lane to now you're thinking about everybody every single day, but like, what was that thing for you when you, you know, kind of transitioned from being an assistant to stepping into a head coach? Cause we'll get into Howard specific stuff a little bit more, but just the, the role itself going from assistant to head coach, what was your wow moment that you did not expect or see coming? Well, I think two things, and you mentioned one of them, like how just everything comes at you like everything (laughs) in everybody right um you are you're so responsible for everything about the program and uh for me i had a business plan because coming from private business I, i was kind of thought that putting a business plan together for our basketball program would help me kind of stay in my lane on how to do things, how I should do them and what they should look like. And so I put, put, put together a 120 page business plan. I, 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 when I, when I looked at Howard, I thought of Howard as my third startup. So 
when I first started up was a company I started in 1994, which was a sports camp company called World One Sports Academy. My second startup was I was coaching and got out of the business from 2011 and 2018, 19. And that was a company I had called Sporting Styles. And with my third startup, which I looked at Howard as being, was head coaching at Howard. So I, I had the, a business plan to kind of keep me a little bit in line. Um, but it's still when, when everything starts coming at you, um, it's a different beast. It's a different beast. And the second thing I think coaches like, you know, a, a bigger thing, and this is more like a life thing, is that you are kind of responsible for your assistant coaches' lives, the, the managers, the trainers, the players, like, you Strength know, coach, sports information. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, and so, like, you know, my first year, we didn't have success. And I'm thinking, like, damn, if I get fired, then the assistant coaches are going to get fired. Like, uh, you know, they moved here. Whatever they had to do to come be part of our staff and help us build this thing, the vision that we had, like, I'm responsible for them and their families and their kids. And so, yep. That was that was a heavy moment when I when I'm looking at it and I'm like, damn, will I get to year two? Where I get to year three? Like, I, I need to, you know, these guys they they're depending on us collectively, but me as the head coach to kind of have some success. But so those were the two things, all of those different things that fly at you, and then the responsibility of everyone that you have to kind of, you know, support while you're at your head coach. And, and I'm happy you said that because especially like there, there's somebody I know and I won't necessarily mention their name just for their, their sake, but you know, they move across the country to take a assistant position and then their head coach ends up ultimately getting um, released. And then it's just like, now the, this kid just moved all the way across the country. Now what do we do? And luckily it all worked out for him and everything, you know, worked, but it's just exactly to your point, all those players you recruited, all those assistant coaches you brought in, everybody that you brought here and you make one little mistake and everything could just go like that. So that's great, great perception and great to definitely be able to hear it from your side just because, you know, you're in that role. But then kind of one thing I wanted to make sure to touch on, and I know now I'm starting to, well, I've always learned you can't always trust everything you see on the internet, especially about Seton Hall right there. <laughs> but... But one thing um, I did read an article of, and this one went more in depth, so I had to make sure to bring it up. So you started coaching at Howard University, and we'll get to that here in a second. But before you got into any of this coaching, I, I read an article from The Hilltop, and I don't know if you know exactly what I'm talking about, but it talked about how in, two, in 2011, you stepped away from coaching, and in 2017, you got asked to work a Steph Curry camp um, just to fill in for somebody who couldn't make it. And it talked about the commitment you made driving four hours to and from work, which one for anybody listening is that's crazy. And I, I'm going to be driving an hour to work every day. I think that's a lot. So for you, I mean, it obviously worked out in your favor, but I, I would definitely love to hear the story from your mouth, just to be able to hear like the Steph Curry camp and kind of how that inspired you to be able to get to where you are now. Yeah, no, good, good, good question, Doug. I think um, so. I was working as a consultant for Under Armour in their global basketball division. And my role was at this point, I did all of their player analysis in the grassroots colleges and NBA. So I was a guy that was kind of on the pulse of things to advise them on who they should invest with 
in terms of tennis shoe deals. And at the Curry camp, you had the top 20 players in the country. You might have had a few college players there and some NBA, NBA guys. And basically for about four or five days, you know, Steph locks everybody up in the gym and he just kind of goes to work. And it was my responsibility at that camp to do the evaluations for everyone. So fast forward, we get there. And unfortunately, one of the coaches that is on the list to coach can't make it because his dad passed. So we're short a coach. And, you know, everybody at Under Armour and the people that brought me in, they were like, hey, we're down one coach. And we know you coach college for a number of years as an assistant. Will you hop in uh, for us because we need you to jump in? And reluctantly, I was like, damn. <laughs> I, I didn't want to do it. Like, a, like, I, a, like the Godfather. Yeah, every time I get out, they pull me back they in. Pull me back <laughs> in folks. They pull me back in. Um, and I knew by saying yes that I was going to get pulled back in. And uh, sure enough, being around Stefan and his love, his creative brain, um, his passion for the game, and all the terrific players that we had at camp that week ignited a flame for me to get back into coaching. Um, so I immediately, you know, told my wife and started to try to get back in. But at this point in time, I'm living in Long Island, New York, on a beach. Um, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and I'm doing business with, you know, four of the major sports leagues uh, in the country, and, and, and it's kind of working for me right now. So I tried to get back in the business. I uh, applied for several different positions all over New York because my wife works in fashion, and she couldn't really leave New York at the time. I got rejected by all of them. And uh, I was talking to a friend one day and he said, hey, I think there's a volunteer position that may come open at Columbia. I was like, why not? I would love to be able to volunteer there. I know the league and, you know, respect Coach Jim Ingles and what he's doing there and what he did at NJIT and applied and was very fortunate and lucky to get the, the opportunity to join their staff. But where I was living in the traffic in New York, it literally would take me two hours on a drive in in the morning and two hours home uh, at nighttime. So my commute was a total of four hours. And uh, but that was the sacrifice and the commitment I was willing to make um, just to to get back in. Um, so I, I, I didn't you know, I was totally OK with it and uh, and loved doing it because it it actually. I found some positives with it, Doug, where I could make phone calls and recruiting calls, you know, on the way home. I could call, I can call coaches on the way in and it, it allowed me to do some networking and, and outreach, uh, possibly that I couldn't have done at home with a, with a newborn baby. Yeah. I had a four wheel office going on, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. I really am. Just because, like I said, just from my personal experience, I'm going to be driving an hour to work every day, and that's nowhere near uh, comparison to you. But just to be able to hear you say and then see where you're at now, it's just like it tells me, you know, like you just got to you got to suck it up. You got to keep going, and especially if you want to do what you want to do, you got to make sure to keep pushing through it. So and especially anybody listening, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can relate. But 
Going off of that, I want to touch on your career at Howard. So there's, of course, a lot that we could talk about. One of the first things I really want to bring to the attention is your first year as a head coach at Howard University. So you guys started 4-29. and Now, the only reason I bring that up, <laughs> the only reason I bring that up is because um, the things we'll talk about next, but you completely changed the program around. So your start, um, what were some things that maybe you knew that first year you're like, all right, we have to change this or some like first year head coaching adjustments that maybe you feel you had to change? Well, I, I would say this, Doug, um, you know, culture is a big thing. I did not understand it because of the places I would have been in the past. And I'll give you two places in the, as an example, DeMatha and Duke. The culture and the Kool-Aid and the food was already prepared by the time I got there. Right. right. So as a younger player, you just fall in line. You get in the back of the line and you see what the older players are doing and you just follow them. Um, so I took that for granted, understanding two things that were kind of totally challenging about the first year. One, Howard is a top five or top 10 party school in the country. I never would have known that. I mean, I, I know that know people that. talk about, you know, I live in Indianapolis. People talk about Indiana, you know, being up, you know, always perennially you know, a top of party school, but I had no idea that Howard was in that conversation. It is definitely in that conversation. And then in terms of the data with the numbers, it's like 76% female to like 24% male. Wow. And then the, the party scene being in the city, like we're very close to a very vibrant area in Washington, D.C. So it was about trying to tighten the program up for that first year and in trying to create um, an environment and not knowing it, a culture that could give us an opportunity um, to have some sustainable success. So I knew that that first year we had to blow it up. And by blowing it up, that <laughs> means we weren't gonna win. The schedule was set up in a way where we had probably around six games in about 14 days. And I will never forget this call. We are playing Ball State. And uh, we just played um, We just played Marshall. We got beat by like 60. We just were playing Ball State or we, bought the, we played Ball State and I'm at my hotel and I get a call. <laughs> and one of my friends that was a uh, new head coach called me and he just goes, hey man, I know you are competitive. You've been at the math and Duke and you won at University of Delaware and you all these different places, I, things you guys did at Harvard. He goes, but I just need to tell you this. You're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Thanks, friend. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, Ashley uh -oh. Howard, uh, who was a the coach oh, yeah. of the town at the time was the guy that gave me that call. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it kind of well. just hit me in the face. And I was just like, he said, man, look, recruit, work on developing as a coach, you know, gave me some great insight. But he's like, don't try to kick yourself about, you know, what you're going through right now. Try to build for the future. Um, so it got to the point where during games and timeouts, uh, I'm pretty sure, coach, if you, if you and your staff did this or if you've done this at other places, 
before you huddle with your team, you would huddle with a staff, right? Just to kind of get some ideas about what they're seeing and things to talk about during the timeout. During those huddles with our staff, I would talk about recruiting, you know, because I'm thinking future, right? And understanding that, you know, it's going to be challenging to win these games, um, but we're still going to put our best foot forward and do everything we can to provide the opportunities for these young men that have a chance to win. Um, but we started talking about recruiting and, uh, you know, seeing the, the, the players that were compiled on that team, we talked about three things with our recruiting. Let's have basketball IQ and feel one shooting two, and toughness three. And those were the things that we wanted to attack with our recruiting as we were moving forward um, and trying to identify young men that would fit in our culture and fit into the system that we have here at Howard. You know, it's funny you say that, Kenny, just because I, I, I literally just put a snapshot in my head of what you just said. And those are the moments that you're reminded most of what you need. Yes. Like you're, you're in the middle of the game and you're down 27 with eight minutes to go. And you start thinking of how in the hell are we down 27? Well, these are the reasons. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're like, that's when those chuck holes are the most visible (laughs) in those moments. So we need more IQ. (laughs) Yeah. Instead of, you know, the heck with the slice stagger action right now. Like, you know, how's that kid in Florida playing? You know, (laughs) 100%. (laughs) 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 Exactly. As soon as this game's over, man, get on that flight. Absolutely. No, that (laughs) is exactly right. Those moments are when it's most clear and most evident. So, yeah, that that makes total sense. It was glaring. It was wow. glaring. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And then the the big thing out of all that, like I wouldn't bring that up if, if obviously there wasn't a bright side to it. So then now what we want to talk about is this previous year. So you make it to the NCAA tournament. You win your conference over Nor- Norfolk State. And then um, making it into the tournament, this was the first time since, correct me if I'm wrong, since 1992. So um, that all being said, you know, how that changed throughout the years. Can you just talk about, like, the pro- the progress you saw the team? I know you've talked a lot about kind of, you know, the steps you took, the little things that you had to implement. But just talk about that progress and the success this past season has meant for you. I, I, think, I think a huge part of it is, like, our support staff, um, starting with our, our – our athletic director, Mr. Kerry Davis, who has been an incredible partner and uh, an incredible mentor for me. Uh, our president, Dr. Wayne Frederick, who just recently retired, um, is a brilliant man and uh, was very pro sports and loved basketball. Um, and then our staff that we have. I have Coach Steve Ongley, a guy that I work with at Columbia and got to know. I really respect and I think he's going to be a heck of a head coach in the future. Um, Tyler Thornton, who's been with me since day one. He's a Washingtonian, played his yeah. high school at Gonzaga. And tried, tried, the tried to recruit him to Columbus, man. I missed on him, but I tried. <laughs> you, that damn Dukies got involved, and that was it. So. He's been, Coach Major, he's been incredible. He's been yeah, incredible. not surprised. He's going to be yeah. an incredible head coach. And uh, we were able to, to bring Rod Bolanis back home. Rod was at Notre Dame with Mike Gray for – 20 plus years and at some point in time was his associate head coach and uh, we were able to bring him back to the DMV where he went to high school and 
all of his family and friends are, are very near here. So um, it, it helps to have a really seasoned and experienced uh, staff of guys that I could trust. And I, I think part of it, Doug, in doing that, I was able to delegate more, which allowed me to kind of focus in on being uh, better for everybody in, in our in our in our athletic department. So, so for you know, to have a chance to win uh, the league regular season title, to have a chance to win the conference title last year in the tournament, um, to go to the NCAA tournament, it was such a big deal for me because I was so happy that we could share that with Howard University, the alums, the campus, and, uh, you know, here in Washington, D.C., Howard University, uh, with us being a majority black city, is still very well thought of in in our community. Um, So it kind of ignited the city a little bit. And uh, to see that excitement about Howard, who hasn't gone to the tournament since 92, as you mentioned, hadn't had back-to-back seasons, winning season since 85, 86. So to do some of those things, man, it meant a lot, but it meant more to be able to share those things with the people that I talked about, our administration, our university, the student population, and, and then the city. I know you mentioned those three factors of, of what you were trying to get, you know, IQ, shooting, and toughness. And I know those things now have over the, you know, manifested themselves into the program now that you've seen them come to life so it's like hey what we thought we needed is exactly what we needed and that's been a key to your success i'm sure but like putting those things slightly to the side like what's the internal day-to-day thing that also has been part of that transformation in terms of the program like uh you know just from a with the the team the locker room those kind of you know the intangibles Sure. I, I think two couple things, and, and I, it just may ramble a little bit if you don't mind, Coach Major. That's all right. Uh, when we were building this thing and, and trying to put it together and we're still building it, I, I wanted the, for young men that looked at Howard University to feel like they weren't compromising anything by choosing Howard. And, and because there's so many AAU teams and, you know, everybody is like one degree separated from each other now in basketball, not even six degrees. Uh, yeah, so if, if a young man is playing on, say, like a DC AAU team and he's getting recruited by the Blue Bloods and the Power Fives and things like that, you know, and I'm a low major or mid-major player, I want to get recruited the same way that I see my friend getting recruited. We had to try to build the infrastructure. Um, so we put in place, you know, a plan to try to, you know, develop uh, uh, develop fundraising opportunities to put some of those things in place. We got a practice gym that is probably going to be one of the nicest practice gyms in the country that is uh, probably about two to three weeks away from opening. So we're extremely excited about that. We have a, I think it's a 30-year partnership with Jumpman, uh, with Brand Jordan. So we're one of maybe 10 schools in the country that have a full Brand Jordan deal which is unbelievable. We have another partnership with Nuna, which is a stroller and a baby carriage company um, and a car seat company uh, relationship I have. They brought our, our floor rights, which allowed us to now start working on having a new locker room and new offices. So just trying to be creative wow. in, in a way where 
you know, when we're recruiting young men, they don't feel like they're compromising anything. So that was a big part of it. And then what, what's been great is that our brand really resonates with a lot of, you know, young men and their families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having a chance to say we have the first black Supreme Court justice and Thurgood Marshall as an alum, the first black female and black vice president of the United States and VP Harris, the first black you know, governor of Virginia with Governor Wilder, the first black mayor uh, of, of New York. We got the first black U.S. ambassador that we were just with on Friday, uh, Andrew Young down in Atlanta. You know, we have Nicole Hannah-Jones on faculty here and she's somebody oh, yeah. very close Six, to our program. 1690 Project. Absolutely. Yes. And she's been great. She was at our game uh, about a week ago against Hampton University. Um, we have Stacey Abrams, who we also were with. Not, it was 1619. I'm sorry. 1619. I correct my correct my, my math. There. <laughs> Apologies. You were on it. You were Apologies on it. to Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to be able to do some of those things and then to say that we are probably the most community driven program in the country where we do more community service than any program in the country, I would bet. We do more social activism than any program in the country. So when you're building it to say that you can say Howard University, you know, the things that we're doing off the court with community and social activism, along with now building up the infrastructure of basketball, it's allowed us to be able to attract young men that probably wouldn't think about Howard because we don't have the history. We don't have the tradition. We don't have the banners um, that we, you know, would probably look at us differently if we weren't having those things in place and if our alums weren't who they were and if we weren't doing the things in the community and the social activism that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny, you guys are taking it one step further. I mean, I think there's community service and then they're serving the community. And I think you guys are on the other end of that spectrum. You know, I think there's, that sounds like that there's a, there's unbelievable intention to do that. And, you know, it's, it's funny, our country's in a place right now where probably Howard's as attractive as it's ever been just because of the situation that our country's in. I don't know if I'm inaccurate with that, but like, you know, it, it's almost made it even more attractive for guys to say, Hey, I can go there and make an impact and I can be a change agent, not just a basketball player. Well, you, you would know this coach from, from your Ohio days, you know, Seth Towns, uh, you know, went to Harvard, got his undergrad there, was MVP as a sophomore, um, finished up, had a couple years of eligibility because of injuries and COVID uh, at Ohio State, got a master's degree there, didn't work out for him because of injury-wise and things like that, had, you know, a couple years of eligibility left. He reached out to us and was like, I want to come to Howard. And, And here's a guy at one point in time when, uh, when he was in the transfer portal, was the number one recruit in the transfer portal. So, you know, to be able to get young men like that, that want to, you know, and his goal was that he goes, hey, I want to get my PhD from Howard, and I want to be a professor at Howard. I'm like, dude, if you're healthy or not, I need you in my program. <laughs> no question. Right? <laughs> no, he'd be in a wheelchair and be an impact guy. I mean, that's absolutely. amazing. No, that's absolutely. Incredible. So, we have young men and families now that are looking at us because there's 
so many of the things in place that we can check those boxes that they're not compromising or missing out on things by choosing us at Howard. I'd like to cut to the final segment, unless Alan, do you have any final questions to, to kind of wrap things up there? No, the, you know, he, you've touched on a lot of the things that even me had, that I had curiosity about, you know, um, obviously familiar with Howard, known people that have gone to school there, but just, man, what a place, you know, like you see, there was a lot of firsts that you dropped. <laughs> yeah. You talking about some of the people that yeah. marched across that campus. I mean, that that's absolutely incredible. So, um, but no, man, th this is, this has been awesome. Um, uh, you know, more ways than one, of course. So do your thing, Dougie, with, uh, uh, our family feud segment here. The family feud <laughs> segment here. We call the three quick hitters. Okay. So really what it is, is, you're just going to be asked three quick questions. Um, boom, boom, boom. Answer short, quick responses just to let everybody kind of get a little bit more about you. But then also it kind of gives a little bit of a, a um, basketball touch to it as well. So there's some a little bit of basketball to it. However, the very first one we'll go with is so do you as a player when you were a player, do you have any habits from DeMatha? I added DeMatha in there or Duke um, that you feel are still instilled into you like discipline or that, that's example, but anything, any habits that you feel are still instilled into you? Uh, I, I think I'm totally different and I have different habits as a player and a coach. I, I sleep more now. <laughs> especially, especially, you would think that was less, that would be less. You know? <laughs> Once you get into coaching, uh, usually it's the other way around. Yeah, no, I, 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 but I, I find time during the day to get a nap. Like I, I make myself sleep because I want to, I want to be good for our players. Um, so that's really important for me. Those are great. Those midday ones, man. You get a quick 30 minutes. Absolutely. You, you, yeah. You wake up best. fresh, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, so yeah, naps are good for me. So the stereotype is everybody who wakes up early, right. Is very successful or people. So the question is, are you an early morning person or are you typically somebody who stays up late? Well, typically we practice in the morning. So this semester we are a 7 a.m. practicing team. Last year at the start of the season, we were a 6 a.m. practicing team. Having grad students now makes it a little bit more challenging because the grad student classes start at 3.30, 4 o'clock and run until about 8.30 in the evening. And the undergraduate classes go from 9 until about 4 or 5. So um, there's no perfect time for us to practice, and I'd rather do it at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning instead of 9 o'clock at night. You know what's great about that, though, is – when those guys get to a point in life where mm. they get a hundred grand offer and the bit, you know, the boss says, or the CEO or wherever they walk into says, Hey, here's the deal. 7.00 AM, you know, buttoned up shirt, tie, have your Starbucks smile on your face, bring your own energy. They'll be able to say, been there, done that. No doubt. Yep. Like they're no getting doubt. a dose of a life lesson and not even maybe realizing it until they get down the road. And like, well, some of your proudest moments are when they say, you know, yeah, I'll, I, I took that job. I mean, I've, I've gotten up early before. Absolutely. You know, I know what it's like to have my motor running at 7 a.m. So life is going to ask them to do that again at some point, especially like we just mentioned, the high dollar folks. No doubt. And then coach, even being a parent, right? You got to sometimes wake up and do things for your kids and your, your wife and your family uh, at times when it's not the optimum uh, time of day for you to do it. So it's, uh, it certainly is a life lesson, as you mentioned. 
Alan, I am in that stage right now. I am in that stage. <laughs> I, I call my high school coach and I'm like, thank you so much for run-. We had 6 a.m. in summer. I'm like, thank you so much for those 6 a.m. I benefit. I wake, you know, I stick to the, exactly what you just said. But to get back to the last quick hitter. So do you read continuously? And then on top of that, do you have any books maybe you'd recommend for a person to kind of help better yourself or better yourself as a coach or player? Uh, I do read. And I actually read more during the season than I do um, out of season. A couple of books I would recommend. Malcolm Gladwell book is one that I really, really love. And it's not the tipping point. It is called. I think I know which one you're about to. Um, it has to do with like when you meet people and uh, not, you know. Tipping point? It's not the tipping point. It's, and it's not, uh, not blank. Blank was the other one. Blank. It's not blank. It I know. I liars. know the one. You, I know the I'll one. You, yeah. Outliers. Outliers. I, yeah. I think. I think. I think every coach should read Outliers. I, I really do. I, I really, really, truly do. And I'm sorry, I blanked on the title. Um, no, you're good. But as as I as I got this, you know, 50 year old mind now with so many different things on my my, my plate, it. Uh, I have senior moments, but <laughs> it's all outliers, good, man. outliers is definitely, I think when I was at um, Harvard as an assistant coach for Tommy, the book outliers was really good for me um, to work with Jeremy Lent and, uh, and to understand that a young man that was like him could have success, not only at the collegiate level, but at the NBA level. And that was really inspiring for me to help him kind of go through the, the, le- the levels that he went through. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Perfect. You said you had, you had, you had one more. You said you had one more. What was the other one? A lot of choices. Sounds a lot of like. choices, coach. A lot of choices. Yeah. That's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. Outliers is, that's a good one for now, but yeah. I put it on I, my list. Yeah. Highly recommended. And then the I final question that we have to wrap things up is, of course, there is a lot of advice, but we always want to ask all coaches this. What is your best, if any, number one piece of advice for young rising coaches who are trying to get their foot in the door? And then how can they accomplish that advice? I, I think a couple of things. Um, one is don't do it for the money. Do it for the love and the passion and the opportunity to mentor, teach, and develop young men. And two, I think some of some people get into the business because lifestyle um, of coaches and to be able to travel, to be able to kind of network, whatever those things are. I, I think those are that, that may not be the right reason to get in. Like, you know, it's almost like some people look at it as as a former player to continue that lifestyle of a former player. Um, it is a different piece. And, you know, the grind from my seat is I, I tell my players all the time and they, they laugh at me. I'm like, yeah, I've been up since five o'clock thinking about you guys. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. And not to mention fell asleep thinking about you. Absolutely. Exactly. And the whole day is preoccupied <laughs> with thinking about your team. It's not it's not one of those things where you think you can just come in and work a guy out for a couple, you know, 30 minute sessions and that's your job. No, that is the smallest part of your job. There is a discipline that you have to have in this business 
as a head coach or as an assistant coach um, that is unlike probably a lot of different industries that, you know, you could possibly be in. It is a grind and it is very challenging. And, uh, you know, the thing is, too, is like, you know, married kids, like there has to be a, a, a partnership with the family to really understand this as well, too, that I, I got home last night. Uh, funny story. I, uh, you know, we played at 730, game ended at, you know, 930 last night. I probably got out of the, the gym at 1015 or so. My wife and daughter were at the game. She told me she was going to take an Uber home, you know, because my daughter is six and she's in the first grade. So she has to get to school early. Fast forward, I don't like I get in my car. I don't immediately turn my phone on. I drive a couple of blocks and I'm like, oh, God, I got to turn my phone on. Call my wife. Check on them. They weren't able to get an Uber. So they're still at the gym when I'm a half mile down the street. already. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to make a U-turn. I can get them. Because they sent me a text like, we can't get an Uber. We're at the gym waiting for you. So just, you know, the family part of it is huge as well. You know, that understand that they're part of it and they need to understand that, you know, it's not a 40-hour job. You know, it's a it's a 24-hour job. Yeah, when it's you, a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I appreciate yeah. that. So, um, but I, I would say those couple things. That is great. That is great, Coach. And then that really wraps it up for us. I mean, before I get into the closing remarks, anybody have any final comments to, to add in? No, nah, Kenny, I just want to say thank you again, man. Uh, I'm so thrilled with what you're doing. Um, I got to find a way to get out there at some point, hopefully, and uh, visit you guys. Uh, but again, just thank you for jumping on, man. This has been awesome. No, thank you, Coach. It's great to see you, man. And I'm so happy things are great for you and Doug. Thank you. Good to see you again, man, and uh, thanks for having me on. This has been awesome. Yes, sir. Thank you, Coach. And that does it for another episode of the Rising Coaches Podcast. Again, I'm Doug Caputo, alongside Alan Major. Coach Blakeney, thank you very much for being on here and sharing your experiences, being able to learn from you. Uh, And keep working, keep grinding, coaches. Take care. Our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball are here to help you take your team's training to the next level this season. Get an exclusive discount on the in-game changing features on select Dr. Dish Rebel Plus, All-Star Plus, and CT Plus shooting machines by mentioning the Rising Coaches podcast or let them know that the Rising Coaches organization had sent you just to get your exclusive discount. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in with us this episode. If you are not a member, want more content, or even be a potential member on our member spotlight to have your story heard, go visit risingcoaches.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Rising Coaches. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review so we can continue to keep rising together.